So we went to see the lawyer and then the lawyer told us there was some big upheaval because apparently the guy who sold us the land, who my brother put onto us, sold the land three times over to another 10 or 15 people. And we just froze because we thought, look, we know that there is no way we can ever get our money back. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guests, Kamalita Nuttall. Kamalita, are you ready to rock? Let's do this. I'm fired up. I'm excited. I'm turned on. Let's do this. All right. Audience, you can't see the video, but you only wish you could. All right. Let me tell you about Kamalita. She is the world's number one rock star international speaker, and she's founder of Event of Champions, a seven-time award-winning corporate sales and business growth expert, an executive business coach, entrepreneur, author, and property investor. Featured in Forbes and quoted in Think and Grow Rich for Women, Kamalita has appeared on Sky TV, BBC Business News, and with, ladies and gentlemen, get this, with Dr. J.B. Hill. Recognize that last name? Napoleon Hill's grandson in front of 20,000 people. Kamalita is a top sales expert who works with companies to increase their profit and create workable systems through strategic planning. She has traveled to 50-plus countries and lived in Spain, Germany, Trinidad, Netherlands, and the UK. Kamalita, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. <laughs> well, I am just so pumped up and fired up, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, my God. Yeah, I grew up in Trinidad. I struggled through school at the age of 13. I had a turning point in my life. I then came to the UK, started my law degree, didn't finish my law degree, gave up law, got into personal development, got into corporate sales, got into property, built global businesses, and then boom, here I am. Bam. And ladies and gentlemen, can you feel her passion? I love it. I love it. All right. Well, that's exciting. Now, the question I have for you is, you've traveled to over 50 plus countries, but what about Thailand? Do you know, my friend, he lives in Pattaya and he's been inviting me for like a long time. So I really, really, really going to make Thailand a priority in the next 18 months on oh, my diary. Right. That's fantastic. So we'll see you in Bangkok. You're welcome to a dinner with mom and me. Mom's in the other room right now having her dinner, <laughs> saying, where the heck is my son? All right. Now, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, you know what, Andrew? I grew up in the Caribbean and, and family means a lot. And you trust your family because you, you sort of, especially when you grew up with nothing and your family all trying to help one another to grow, you tend to believe your family and trust your family. So that was my whole experience growing up. And so when I moved to the UK, my brothers were so excited and so pumped up because here yeah, I moved to the UK, I'm running a global business, I'm traveling the world. They're looking and thinking, oh my God, she's arrived. So guess what? There are opportunities that may be had for her back here in Trinidad. I am going to tell her about those. And, and you know, she's got money because she lives in the UK. So lo and behold, my brother called me up to say that this amazing property deal and I could develop this land because I'm a property investor in the UK. So, you know, I could develop this land and, you know, he could make some money. 
by sort of managing it for us and then we could make these millions in what we were doing because we know what we were doing, or so we thought. So he introduced us to this guy who owned this land. Um, at the time, the guy, the, the whole process was going through of the land going into his name, from his dad's name, or so we thought. And we just decided, you know what, we're going to just listen to him. And he kept pushing and he kept prodding, like, you know, I don't want you to lose this deal. This is a really good deal. It's going to benefit all of us, you know, to sort of, you know, help all of us, our opportunity. And I thought, yeah, let me engage. And then he said to me, look, I know this guy. He's legit. I've seen the land. It's brilliant. It's not far from where I live. I can manage it. Well, what you've got to do is that you're going to send down 10000 to start to hold the land. You know, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to look after it. Not to worry. Don't sweat it. It's, you know, it's, it's good. And in my mind, I thought, well, this is my brother. You know, I trust him. He wouldn't send me down. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't do any of that to me. No. And I convinced my husband, who's very skeptical, and his name is Andrew as well. To I like him already. <laughs> to send his money down. And we sent it. And then we went down to then do the paperwork. But my brother says, well, well, you know, you could use the lawyer that the guy is using because he already knows everything. So there's no point in getting another lawyer. You might as well use him. Now, I've been to law school. I studied law. I studied land law, for God's sake. I should have known better. But no, I trusted my brother because it's my brother. You know, he loves me, blah, blah, blah. So I thought. Um, but when we went down, we got to the lawyer. The lawyer said, yeah, I can sort it all out for you. Everything is in hand. Everything is fine, blah, blah, blah. We thought, brilliant. Everything is going okay. And then the lawyer said, well, we need some more money because of, you know, you can get this, you can get that. And then the lawyer said, well, you know, there's more land, you know. You might as well get the rest. If you're getting it, you might as well get it all. And we thought, well, we might as well get it all because it's an opportunity. We could make more money. Why not? We looked at investing $50,000 or so, and we could make like two or three million. So yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's develop the land. We could do this. Oh, the sky's the limit. And then lo and behold, nothing was happening. We were sending more and more money going to pay for this supposed land. The lawyer was supposedly doing all the transactional stuff, which we trusted him. And we paid him up front, which you should never do. And then we went down after about a year and a half. And there was a house on the land that we supposedly bought. We were like, that's our land. That house is on our land. Dying right. So we went to see the lawyer. And then the lawyer told us there was some big upheaval because apparently the guy who sold us the land, who my brother put onto us, sold the land three times over to another 10 or 15 people. And we just froze because we thought, look, we know that there is no way we can ever get our money back. And my husband and I, we stayed in Trinidad for like two months trying to get our money back. And stayed away from our business here in the UK, our businesses, trying to get our monies back and never got a cent. And we wasted two months of our time in addition to all the money that we sent down, in addition to all our sanity, and never got anything back at all. And we did get our monies back from the lawyer because he realized he was wrong. He should have done his due diligence, which he didn't. But guess what? We were wrong because we should have done our own due diligence and we didn't. And we should have had an independent lawyer, and we didn't. And we should not have sent money through until we have a proper contract in hand and until we've seen the legalities of the land and who owns the land and who, what's happening. No, I should know better. I was in law school. Like, what the heck? And we didn't, Andrew. We didn't. 
let me ask you about that. Would you attribute that to the fact that you were placing trust in your brother and thinking this can't go wrong of because of that? Yep. Okay. Of course. Yep. I, I didn't speak to my brother for like three years after that. He was feeling bad because he thought he screwed us. So he, he was feeling bad himself. And I don't think he genuinely went out to do any harm to us. I think it was, I blame myself for not doing the due diligence as you should do in investing, which I so gladly teach all my clients now. <laughs> I suspect, well, I'm going to ask you the next question, which is what lessons did you learn? But I imagine <laughs> the lessons that you learned make you a more valuable advisor to your clients. Oh my God. Like my client, like, like I was literally just yesterday, uh, Saturday I, was, I do uh, once a month, I have an inner circle group um, that I support entrepreneurs across the world. Um, they appear to be in this inner circle group. So, but I share my innermost feelings with them. They are my inner circle. And one of the things that we're talking about is contracts and what you need to have in place for collaborations and JVs and all that sort of thing. And I was able to share with them the list of what not to do. So making sure that you have the right contracts in place and making sure that it is done with a proper lawyer, not somebody who supposedly don't pull contracts off the internet or instead of crazy stuff, do things correctly. So now I'm, I'm, because of that whole situation, I'm able to coach. I mean, these are very successful entrepreneurs already. And some of them are very high-end professionals with, you know, earning a substantial amount of money, but they want to do something else. Or there are people who are already in property and are wanting to do other things in property. So I know now what not to do. So I'm mm -hmm. teaching them and giving them all these tips of guys, don't do this and you don't do that and make sure you've got the contracts right and make sure, you know, the end goal and make sure you've got the divorce set up before the marriage. And, and it's just everything that you need to do, which we didn't do. It makes me think about, you know, there's a lot of people selling things on the internet and there's a lot of people encouraging people to sell things on the internet. And one of the things that I've heard, which, you know, there's some merits to it is that you only have to know more than your clients to be considered an expert by them. But I think that this is a great example of where that experience really shines that, you know, when people pay you to help them solve their problems or make things oh. better, they're paying for that experience. And it's exactly. valuable. Andrew, I tell my clients all the time, and I mean, my coaching clients are from Canada to Australia, like literally across mm -hmm. the globe. And they find me on social media, they find me on LinkedIn, they find me on Instagram, they find me, and they come to me and they're like, Kamalita, I've seen what you're posting. You talk about multiple streams of residual income. Why do I need to have it? Because I know when you don't have it, what happens? You know, it's kind of like what happened in 2007. When you don't have it, when you don't have good investments, bad investments happen. So when you don't have multiple streams of income, when one thing goes down, you're wondering what, what just happened to me. And, and I so teach creating multiple streams of residual income with a passion because I know if at that point, now listen to this, Andrew, if at that point, when my brother did that and I ended up in Trinidad for two months without any income coming in other than what I had, my business, my whole life would have gone bankrupt. But because I had already multiple streams of income from property and other things here in the UK, because I had that, I had the income coming in, so I could have stayed there for two months and not freak out. But mm. the majority of the people, and that's why when I coach people today, I tell them, you've got to create that while you're building, while you're working. So that's another sort of bad investment thing that people don't do, is creating multiple streams of income while they have money to be able to do it. Make hay while the sun shines. All right, well, let me summarize a few things that I take away from it. 
the first thing is that, I mean, this does come down to some very core mistakes. Mistake number one is a failure to do the research. Now, that wasn't the core mistake, really, because, you know, it wasn't about, you know, the problem or the issue wasn't about what return were you going to get on this. It really comes down to what would be mistake number two out of the mistakes that I've heard many different guests, which is the idea of that failed to assess the risk. And I think that that's where one of the things that I always recommend to listeners and to investors is that you separate the process of researching the return of a project from assessing the risk of a project. And by doing that, you can allow your excitement, like we were talking about Michael Gerber's e-myth and the entrepreneurial seizure, all that excitement, you bring that into the work that you're doing on researching the return. But it's got to be like Jekyll and Hyde, where you're now going to switch and now you're going to assess the risk. What Indeed. could go wrong? So that's uh, one thing. Also, you know, the whole transfer. I want to tell you two quick stories from my side. When I was a young guy, a friend, an acquaintance that I knew in school back in Ohio, he bought my motorcycle. So he gave me a check that his parents wrote. But I said, look, I'm not giving you, I'm not signing over the title of this until the check clears the bank. So let's meet down at the bank and I'm going to go to the bank and say, cash this check when I get the $700, which is what it was at that time, which was like a million dollars in my mind. And then I got the cash and I walked away from the bank and I signed over the title. So what could go wrong? I got a call from the bank two days later, said, please return the $700. What? They said, the mother has stopped payment on the check. And we have three days that we can call that cash back. So there I am walking back to the bank, bringing $700, giving it back to them. But he didn't give me back the title. He kept the title. And I had to take him to court to get that back. And it's just a real lesson that, you know, when you're transferring any type of asset, you really need to focus even when you think you got it covered. You know, uh, the second story is you reminded me, I had looked for a piece of land in Thailand for a long time. And by chance, something came up that was very attractive. It was in the area I was looking for. It was the right price and all that. And I went up, went to look at it. Everything looked good. And then the people behind said, hey, we've got a piece of land. Can we sell you ours also? And okay, that just changes the dynamic because wait a minute. Okay, now this is going to stretch me a little bit. But, but in that case, it turns out that those people were landlocked. So they knew that this was their really only chance to sell. They didn't have access to the road from that land. And as a result, I said, you know, it's going to have to be a lower price. And so we negotiated a lower price and I grabbed that land at a lower price. So I ended up taking on more than I had thought. But the point was, was that it was an opportunity that, that was right at the time and it worked. I got the title. I was able to transfer that. But that's just a story of kind of good and bad in title transfer in my life. So let me ask you, based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I think more than anything else, two things. Trust no one and have a contract with a legitimate attorney for everything in, that you do. I have a contract for my contract. Like I have a contract for everything. Like everybody that comes into my inner circle or comes into my coaching or comes into my strategy sessions or comes into, you know, speaking or somebody speaking at my event of champions or everything that I do, there is a contract for everything. Like I trust no one. And I think that's the thing I leave with my clients. As much as you love people, and oh my God, I do love my brother. We still, we are very good friends. We talk, we laugh, we, you know, we do things together. I forgive him. You know, he, we've moved on. We're family. 
But now, moving forward, have a contract for the contract. Write the divorce before the wedding. Trust no one, period. Yes. And for the audience, I would add to that, that don't feel bad about that. That's normal business practice. It's not unreasonable to go to someone and say, I'd like to get this down in writing before we get started. That's a reasonable request. And anybody that tries to make it seem like it's an unreasonable thing would already be a bit of a red flag. Well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I always have more than 100. Things come and choose. (laughs) Number one is to grow my inner circle, to really support entrepreneurs across the world to really understand what they need to do to build, sustain, and develop a global brand. Two, it is to grow my podcast so that we can have other successful entrepreneurs in part to people that I follow and people that follow me across the world and to interview some amazing people. And I, 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 sorry, I got three. And to grow my event of champions, to really support entrepreneurs at events so that they understand what their needs are and, and allow the speakers to meet their needs. And I, I think though, that, that's my three I I usually have more than one, but those are my three for this year. I really want to support entrepreneurs, Andrew, to understand who they are and monetize who they are. Got it. So listeners, there you go. If you want some support as an entrepreneur, just go to the show notes and you'll see links so that you can get in touch. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Kamalita, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? All you need to do is go to kamalita.com. And you will find all the information. You'll find all my social media handles. You can send me a message and get my free resource. I have a free ebook called How to Fast Track Your Success. And in there, it talks about definitely minding your own business and having your legalities in place. So my last parting words would be, and this is what I say across the world, if it's not making money, it's not making sense. Your due diligence. Totally love that. I saw that on your site and on one of your quotes, and I love that. If it's not making money, it's not making sense. Ladies and gentlemen, that's great. A great way to end this. Just go to the show notes and click in, and you can get in touch with her and ask for any advice, and maybe you can get into her inner circle. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.